we have our first Sunday of Advent, um, and and it, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know about y'all's experience of it, but for me, Advent, um, like and in, in beginning into Christmas, just becomes it's like somebody you know, like we're driving along, and somebody in the passenger seat sticks their foot over and jams my foot down on the gas even harder. And it's like there's more to do, there's more money going out, there's more um, social obligation, there's more. Um, um, of everything except for time to get stuff done because now you have a deadline. <laughs> and, and it gets closer and closer and closer, and the whole while somebody's playing a loop of Christmas music in the background, starting at Halloween. Um, is, that, is it just me? Am I like really, any of y'all experience this where we come on this season and it seems like the only thing that changes is it's the same old, same old except more of it? You know, and and the closer you get, it's a lot more of it. And it kicks off at Thanksgiving when we get that that great blessing of like cheap shopping days, so that you can go out and drive yourself nuts doing that, like over over busy and overspending and over everything. And and it the the challenge with this season, especially with what it's become in our culture, is that um, it, it becomes more of the same, like more and more and more of the same with different music. And like a different conversation we have that, you know, well, we're the reason for the season and peace on earth and goodwill to men, except if you're buying that Barbie I want for my daughter and then it's on. Um, did you all see that video? People fighting over a Barbie like the day after Thanksgiving. It's um, it, it's crazy. Um, but in reality, God did not send his son so we could do more of the same. Um, he didn't send his son so that we could maintain business as usual. He didn't, you know, Jesus didn't come to this earth and become a man so that we could, um, so that we could play out um, an annual, you know, an annual tradition. Um, the manger, Christmas, the, the appearance of Christ was meant to change everything. God didn't, like, set this as the cornerstone of history um, for any reason other than it's a new beginning. It, it was intended to change everything. And so for the next four weeks, three, four weeks, um, we're going to be looking at how the coming of Jesus changes everything, um, how, it, how it should change our lives, how it changed history, how it changed the relationship between God and man. And, and for, for this first time, we're going to talk about God drawing near to us, and we're going to start, we're going to do a lot of Bible, okay? Um, we're going to kind of do a survey here, and we're going to start with Genesis, right? And this is the way things were meant to be. When God created the world... It, it was a little like, it, it brand new out of the box, it worked right. You know what I'm talking about? Every parent is there thinking, I remember when things worked right out of the box for my kids, and by the second week, you know, they'd broken pieces off, and the batteries had melted, and you know, things had begun to fall apart. And the way things were meant to be, God created the world, he created it in an ideal state. He created it good. And actually, you see that in the creation like story. God says, it is good. You know, he hangs the stars in the sky. He says, it is good. You know, he separates the darkness from the light. He says, it is good. And as we transition into um, um, Adam and Eve in the world, um, you know, he looks, the first thing he says isn't good is that Adam's alone. And so he, he creates Eve so that there's a pairing. And, you know, they have this relationship, and that's good. And, and right as things begin to fall apart, um, we get a glimpse of what God intended in another aspect. And we're going to look at Genesis 3. Um, Eve, at this point, has encountered the snake, and the snake has tempted her, right? 
and Eve just gives in. She says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, uh, loin coverings. They, all right, so we're going to hit pause there, which I, somebody pointed out, I say. Um, we're going we're gonna to stop there, and we're going to talk about this first part of it. Um, they had one job. You ever hear that phrase? You had one job. They had one job. Their one job was don't eat off that tree, Right? And, and just like I, I was watching Titus this morning, I had something sitting on the couch that he wasn't supposed to mess with. And he picked it up, and I said, no. So he put it down, and then he stood there, and he looked at me, and he reached over, and what did he do? Touched it. <laughs> and, and then when he saw I didn't say anything, he started touching it with his other hand. <laughs> said, no. And I, I guarantee you, if I hadn't picked him up, what would he have done? gone right back and picked it up. And that's essentially what Adam and Eve have done here. They're told, do not eat off that tree. This is your one rule. You have a choice. You can be close to me or you can rebel, right? And they chose to rebel. And, and um, as soon as they do, their eyes are open and they recognize that they're naked. Now, um, there's an important little bit here. Adam and Eve, before this point, had no shame. Right? They had nothing to be ashamed of. They, they had nothing to hide. They weren't hiding anything from each other. They weren't hiding anything from God. Now they have sin. And sin is, like, terrible in the respect that we've got to bury it. Right? You don't want anybody looking at your garbage. I, I'm sure you all can relate to that. You've got things that you know about, and you sort of hope that nobody will ever find out about. And you've got these things, and, and you really don't want them in the light of day. The problem is the more you bury them, like, like the more that they get moldy and worse. Um, and so we've got these sins, and Adam and Eve cover it up. And suddenly there's distance between each other, but there's a distance that exists between God and them. Um, so we go on and it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, do they sound so, like, like it doesn't sound like the way it's presented here, it doesn't sound like this is an unusual occurrence. Does that make sense? It doesn't sound like, and then suddenly God showed up. It was, you know what, in the cool of the day God was walking. And they heard him and they knew who he was. They knew what was going on. There was no confusion about it. It almost sounds as though God just did this. You know, he created his people and he intended to have a relationship with us. He intended to be close with us. He intended to talk with us and visit us and, and you know, be among us. Um, there's no confusion with Adam and Eve as to what's going on. They know he's there, and they're like, uh-oh, hide the evidence and let's get out of here, right? Um, God intended the world to be one way. He intended his relationship with us to be close. And Adam and Eve pitch that in the bin, and suddenly there's distance. Um, and we see that distance begin to play out. Um, they hid themselves from the presence of God, of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Um, first off, God knows what's going on, right? Any of y'all ever do that with your kids maybe? You know they did something 
and you know where they're hiding, and you give them a chance to come out and fess up. Um, it's basically what God does here. He's, where are you guys? I, I, I listened to a preacher a few years ago, and he made an interesting point about this, though. There's almost a point of hurt here, right? Anybody ever show up to meet somebody and have them skip out? Or worse yet, avoid you completely? Or see somebody and watch them like intentionally ignore you or run the other way when they see you? Happened to me a lot when I was younger with girls. Um, <laughs> oh, it's Eric. Get out of here. Um, where are you? Um, it's this first point where God is, I mean, God is literally like, like he's affronted by his creation at this point. These people that he created to love and be in relationship with are running away from him, and they're hiding from him. Um, and it's the beginning of the distance. Um, this is the way things became. He said, I, Adam re- responded, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, that woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave it to me, you know, gave me from the tree, and I ate it. So, like, like the first thing Adam does is he blames God. <laughs> and then he blames the woman. <laughs> and the very last thing he mentions is a passive participant in the whole thing. You can understand how it wasn't his fault. He ate off the tree. He is, what's the word for it? He's lying, Right? And he's blaming everyone but himself. This is like the practice of good, close, intimate relationship, isn't it? Uh, is it? No. Um, this, is, this is the beginning of the first dysfunctional relationship. Um, and, and Adam plays it out because the world went from this harmonious, ideal situation, God intimate, in love with, and close to his people, to his people backing up and saying, I want anything in the world but you. And, and here we are, right? It goes on. Actually, we're going to jump ahead. Um, this division gets broader as the scriptures progress. Um, and, and ultimately, it creates an enormous gulf between God and man. Um, this, this distance is, is so big. Um, it's so big. Um, first off, it's, it's big for a very important reason. I'm going to get to this. God is holy, Okay. And the word holy refers to the fact that God is, like, set apart. Um, sin and uncleanliness and, like, just bad, the junk, it doesn't come into his presence, right? God, God is wholly set apart. Um, it's like in Montana, I, 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 what's the one constant in the fall and then in the spring? Like, it's mud on your shoes, right? Um, it's a little like having a house of perfect white carpet in Montana. You know, the moment you show up, you, you pretty much need to take your pants and your shoes off at the door because you're not coming in, right? Otherwise, you're going to do what? Track mud. And they won't be perfect white, clean carpets anymore, will they? They'll be like everybody's house. Um, and, and that is God. God is so set apart, and he will not come into contact. He cannot come into contact. And the reason for this is that God's cleanliness, his holiness, is consuming. It's almost like a fire, right? So when things that aren't clean come into its presence, they're consumed. They cease to exist because they can't be in his presence. Um, and so what we see here is we see 
where, as the scriptures progress, things that come into God's presence that are not pure, that are not holy, that are not absolutely clean, are, are consumed. And the first example of this we're going to look at is in Moses. Moses was awesome. I mean, as far as the Jews were concerned, he was like a rock star, right? And Moses asked to see God, right? Moses asked to, I just want to see your glory. I want to see what you look like. The problem, of course, being is that Moses was sinful. We're all sinful. And God says, you know what? You can't see, my, you can't see me. You can't even be in my presence because you will be just destroyed by it. Um, now, this is a long way from God was walking in the cool of the garden during the day. God was in the presence of his people. God visited with them regularly. And now we're in this place where God is like, listen, if I even come near you and you lay eyes on me, that's the end of you. Um, And so Moses asked. Then Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, this is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What God says is, Listen, I'm going to come near you. You're going to be aware that I'm there. I'm going to stick you in a cave. I'm going to put my hand over the cave, and I'm going to pass by. And once I'm passed, you can stick out and see my backside, but that's it. Like, God is so holy that the fullness of him would just, it would have been the end of him. Um, We see this actually as this interaction is taking place there on Mount Sinai. And Jess just whispered something. I know she just said that it's the first instance of mooning in the Bible. Um, (laughs) perhaps the only. Um, They're on Mount Sinai, and actually it was so severe that if you approached the mountain without permission, you would die. I mean, literally, if you walked up and you touched the mountain, that was it, right? Because you just couldn't come close to God. And so Moses can't even look God in the face. He can't come near to God because there's a distance. Now, if my wife and I suddenly developed a weird tick in our relationship where she couldn't look me in the face anymore. Closer or farther away from each other? Much further away, right? Like, we can't even stand face to face with God because, because of our sin. Intimacy is disintegrated at this point. There's no closeness. Um, and so, like, like, this distance, it's not what we were created for. It's not what God meant to be, but it's the way it's become. Uh, we have another passage. This is in Second Samuel. Um, later on, when God would, when folks would worship God, they would have this thing, the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe y'all saw Indiana Jones, right? The big gold box that Indiana Jones like gets out of the snake pit. Um, that was the Ark of the Covenant, or a representation of it. It's not really sitting in a government warehouse. Um, this this Ark of the Covenant, when they would worship God and they would do their sacrifices, they would pour blood on the top of this Ark as like a forgiveness of our sins, right? Like so when you would sin, um, you would sacrifice an animal, you would pour blood on the top of this thing, and God's presence would be there, and he, his rage toward you would be satisfied by the shedding of that blood, right? Um, this thing, because God manifest on it, 
his glory manifest on it, nobody was allowed to touch it. They would have, and if you remember from Indiana Jones, they had the big sticks. They put in the rings on the side, and they would carry it around by the sticks, and nobody ever touched the thing. And um, they're traveling with this thing. It's on a cart with some ox, and they're hauling the box along. And But they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, and Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had nearly upset it. Meaning, they're dragging the thing along in a cart. They hit a speed bump, probably because they were in Montana or something. They're all over these ruts in the road. And the box starts falling off, and this guy, Uzzah, jumps up and says, whoa, grabs it and puts it back up. Right? And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. Um, holiness cannot come into contact with, uh, with, with uncleanliness. Um, it's not even God. It's the box, right? It's, it's not even like his very presence. It's where he shows up. And because Uzzah had the gall to keep it from falling off of a cart, like, like he, was, he, was, he was killed. Intimacy or no? If you touch my car, you're dead. Is that a close relationship? Say that to my wife. You touch my car. Just don't adjust the seat. Um, you can't have closeness. And there's a distance. And that's a, that's a pretty huge distance, isn't it? Um, when God speaks to his people, he starts speaking through angels. Like, because he can't even talk to folks. Because when he talks to folks, like, the earth shakes. <laughs> and people throw themselves down and say, oh, my gosh, please, you know. And, oh, do not be afraid, right? Um, there's so much distance that's created. Um, the last one we're going to look at is um, from not Second Samuel. I don't know why, that's because I, I forgot to change it. This should be from Isaiah. Um, Isaiah shows up in the temple and he sees. He has a vision. He sees God. Um, the seraphim, which are angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered God's face, his face, God's face. With two he covered God's feet, and with two he flew. And the one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, that's significant. Holy, holy, holy. Why do they say it three times? Because it is God's preeminent quality. God is perfectly holy. As much as we say things like God is love, right? God is holy first. Okay? God is pure. He's set apart. He is not like us. And so God is holy above all else. And so holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, you know, the Lord God Almighty. Um, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out with the temple filling with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So God is in the, in the temple. He has this vision. The angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And just the angels talking is making the building shake, right? Just the angels talking is shaking the place. Just their presence is filling the place up with smoke, right? Um, just not even seeing his face, not even seeing his feet, right? They're covering his feet. <laughs> like not even seeing God. His response is, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, right? Uh-oh, I'm ruined the sense of this is actually that he's literally like driven to the point of insanity. And he's terrified because he's in the presence of a holy God. And he's a man of unclean lips. What is he talking about? Well, 
talking about the fact that he's a sinner, right? The sinful man comes into God's presence, and the only response he has is, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> it's all over. Intimacy or no? Close relationship or no? It's pretty much a no, right? Um, the creation is broken, and it's broken in such a way that people are as far away from God as possible. It's the way things had become. We're going to shift gears. We see a change. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ is as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with baby by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from, his, from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded. And he took Mary to be his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, whom he called his name Jesus. Um, the name that he says, listen, we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us, right? So we go from God being intimate and close and walking in the garden with his people, to God being so far away because of the wickedness of his people. Because even coming near near them would destroy them. And now Jesus shows up, and what is it? It's Emmanuel. And so because God can't move us over there, he steps into our world and draws close to us. The thing, the first thing, the most important thing that Christmas changes is as we weep and whine and cry and and complain that God is so far away and I can't hear him and I can't see him, God has stepped into our presence to be close to us again. Christmas changes everything because God, who wants to be close to us, who created us to be close to us, draws near to us again. Um, As Jesus goes into the world... Um, we see a leper came to him. A leper is a man who's got leprosy, meaning a skin disease that causes him to rot, literally. He would have smelled bad. You wouldn't come near him. When a leper was walking down the street, his job was to yell at people as they approached. I'm unclean. Don't come near me. Right? So, like, how would that be? You're walking along, and, like, there's a crowd of people, and you say, got leprosy. Stay away. Stay away. came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So this is a man, not only will God not come near him because of his sin, the people around him won't touch him because he's sick. And what do we see here? God reaches out and touches him and makes it right. Intimacy? Heck of a lot more than was in the middle there, right? I'm going to go on. The change we see. As he passed by, he saw the son of Levi 
uh, or he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, meaning Jesus went to Levi's house and ate dinner. Why is that a big deal? Because Levi is a tax collector. He is a thief and he's a traitor. Got it? He's betrayed his people like for money. And not only that, betrayed his God for money. He is the lowest man on the totem pole, right? What is Jesus doing? He's sitting at his table. He's eating with him. He was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him, meaning Jesus is walking around, and all the worst people in town are following him, and he goes to their houses. When the scribes and the Pharisees, meaning the church folks, saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to their disciples, why is he eating and drinking with the tax collectors and sinners. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a physician, but it is the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. What's he saying? He's saying, Listen, I am here for the people no one wants. I'm going to be close. I'm going to be intimate. I'm going to reconnect with these people. And God steps into the world and stands with the worst people, the people that nobody wants to go near. They will not even accept a free meal from them. (laughs) And God is in their presence. He's literally sitting at a table with them. Um, And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. By the way, at this point in time, like we're going to learn something really big here. This woman who is a sinner, she was a prostitute, okay? In this culture, prostitutes were pretty common, right? But they were really the bottom rung of society. You didn't look at them in a nice way. You trash-talked them. Even their customers didn't like them, which is pretty bad. Um, and she was, she, excuse me, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair um, and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. She was so pleased, she was so broken over her own sin and so pleased that God was in her presence, she washed his feet. I don't like people that touch my feet. Anybody else? I don't want strangers touching my feet. My wife doesn't want prostitutes touching my feet. I mean, this is across the board. This is a very intimate encounter between this woman who is, she's a sinner. And God himself, is she struck dead? She touched his feet. No. In fact, actually, Jesus goes on and says that she's forgiven of her sins. So this God who, if you came into his presence, you were wiped out, is now standing amongst his people. They can cry in front of him. They can hold his hand. They can kill him, which does happen. Um, But God is suddenly with his people again. Um, And from there, when Christ ascends into heaven, um, we find that, that God takes another step. Do you know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? That's from 1 Corinthians. Meaning... God steps in the world as one of us, and then he takes another step. When Christ leaves, God steps into our hearts and lives inside us as the Holy Spirit. Um, And so the intimacy that we were created for is something we're given again. And Christmas is the beginning of it. It changed everything. 
God lives inside of us, in our hearts, in our minds. He reshapes us. He steers us sometimes to help us not screw up so bad. Um, Living in our hearts, intimate or not? Super intimate. And that's hard because I've talked to folks, especially in the last couple weeks, I've talked to folks who would say, where's God right now? Right? Where's God when, when, you know, I'm sick? Where's God when... I'm, I'm alone. Where is God when I'm failing? Where is God when, you know, my family members or my friends die? Where is God when? And we back up and say, you know what? God is closer to you today, closer to you right now if you have faith in him than when they saw smoke and fire in the sky and the earth shook and fireballs fell down and consumed bad guys and all this other stuff. God is closer and more intimate with us because his Holy Spirit dwells in us. Everything changes at Christmas, and it changes because God steps into the room with us and says, you're coming back to me. He holds our hands, and he wipes our tears, and he fixes the garbage that happens. My challenge for you this week, and I'm way long, I'm sorry. Um, My challenge for you this week as you go out of here, as you have lunch, as you start figuring out how you're going to knock out your Christmas decorations, as you start figuring out how you're going to do all this shopping, how on earth are you going to pay for it, how on earth are you going to get through this holiday, how on earth are you going to avoid hearing jingle bells one more time, uh, how on earth are you going to do all the stuff that you got to do? This is something that changed everything. God steps into our presence and we're close with him. How are you going to live different? Because the Holy Spirit, because God himself, the creator of the universe, loves you enough to come as one of us, to lower himself into the mud with us and pick us up out of it. How are you going to live different? This changes everything. How is it going to change you? I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds and make us new. I pray that as we celebrate the birth of your son, that we would remember this is, this is an event that changes everything. This is an event that draws you into our presence, that draws us into your presence, where intimacy and, and love and relationship with you is something we can have again. And we can become what we were designed to be, like new out of the box, Lord. Pray that you would give us your grace and peace and help us to just look to this every day. Uh, stand up and we'll close with a blessing. You always watch for the people who don't get up as being still asleep. Um, In the back of the room, it's Christmas, so we give out Christmas ornaments. 